Good morning, church. You know, uh, while my wife was um, wrapping up an announcement and prayer session, you know, she did say that, um, you know, what's going on in Ukraine and uh, and uh, Russia, that, you know, there's a message there too. Uh, something I think I should clarify that we are not saying God is the cause of this or God wants to send a message to his people and that's why that is happening. That's not what we're saying. <clears throat> But there's always a message, and I was meditating on things going on yesterday. And you know, one of the things I noticed about the Ukrainians is the fighting spirit they had, they have. You know, is how much they saw, how much value they place on their territory, on their country that they were going to fight to secure it. And it got me thinking about our own Christian life. Do you know? Do you place so much value? on our Christian identity that we will not allow anything to mess about, you know, <clears throat> mess us about. You know, how resolute, how determined are we to say we're not going to lose our identity in Christ Jesus? You know, those guys will fight with everything and that's kind of, that's physical, that's what I mean. And the physical, and it got me thinking and, I, and as I was praying last night, as I was meditating and stuff last night, you know, this was just in front of me, like, you know what, uh, how ready and willing are believers want to stand for their identity in Christ Jesus and not allow the media, the government, or all manner of evil people to confuse them about their identity, standing their ground. And the Bible says that God has called us to a holy calling. A holy calling. And if we really understand what a holy calling means, it means that you know our Christian life is a our Christian life is a call to live a holy life. Now uh, we don't live holy to please God, but because the Lord Jesus died for you and I, and he has called us to a life of holiness, how far are we willing to go to fight and stand our ground and not allow people to mess us about, to, to pollute our mind, to pollute the heart and the brain and the mind of our children? You know, if we don't take too many lessons from the Ukrainians, their willingness, their zeal, their, their united spirit, you know, how they united for one cause to, st to stand for their land, their country, and not allow an enemy to take them out of the land, to seize that land from them. I mean, that is a huge lesson to believers. Now, we may have differences, you know, differences of opinion, differences of perspective, but for the cause of Christ Jesus, how united are we? How willing are we to come together and forget the fact that one person doesn't like green? on the green color or green painting on the wall of the church one person doesn't like blue one person doesn't like something some people are willing to die for their country how much more for the faith that jesus christ would die for i mean i mean how much more the christian faith that jesus came to die for you for to so that you can you can have this relationship with the father uh to very much extent i don't think many believers understand or know the value of the christian faith and that's how we allow just anything and the enemy is taking advantage of us. So please, let's hold on to that. That's at the, at, you know, the thing that my wife mentioned that, you know, she, she's a woman of the spirit. Uh, she's, she's made one or two comments here and as she was wrapping up and the Holy Spirit uh, quickened me to build on that. So I might, talk, I might refer to that from time to time this morning as we look at this part of the gospel. Uh, and we, today I want to focus on the gospel is the gospel of the kingdom of god amen <clears throat> excuse me so as we were wrapping up last week i said i was going to look at the three tenses 
in the gospel uh, and with regards to salvation. Right, so the three tenses, I talked about the, uh, you know, salvation is in kind of like three forms in a sense. So, and like, don't forget what we, what we shared, that salvation is the all-encompassing word of, um, of the gospel and it meant deliverance, perfection, healing, and a few other things. So when you look at the gospel, think about salvation. When you look at salvation, think about the gospel. Right, uh, so salvation is the all-encompassing word for has all of the has, or is the all-encompassing word for the gospel. In Romans one sixteen tells Jesus, uh, Paul said, he said, "I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God that brings salvation into the life of everyone who believes, first to the Jews, then to the Greeks." But before then, verse thirteen, he said he, he was going to preach the gospel to those people in Rome. Right, and I was trying to establish last week that the gospel is not only for the unsaved, the gospel is equally for the saved. Amen. The gospel is equally for the saved. And it is in living by the gospel, believing the gospel, meditating on what the gospel is, that we will see transformation in our lives. You know, so what happened to us when we first received the gospel was that we're saved. Romans chapter 10 tells us that if you believe with your heart the Lord Jesus and confess him as your Lord, he said you will be saved. So that is the first salvation or this first form of salvation that we received at new birth or on hearing the gospel. So that's one tense, saved. You know, uh, Paul said in the book of 1 Corinthians 15, he was talking about the, the, minist- sorry, the gospel that he ministered to the Corinthian church by which they were saved. So there's a salvation, there is a saving at the point that we receive the gospel. So that's for saved. Another tense, you know, I feel we should look at a few verses of scripture. And that, you know, I talked about 1 Corinthians 15. Let's go there. 1 Corinthians 15, 15. Uh, so I'm reading from the New King James Version. So Paul says here, he said, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved. If you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So the gospel that Paul preached to the believers, to sorry, to the Corinthians, you know, uh, was what they believed and what brought about the salvation. Amen. Uh, let's look at Second uh, Timothy 1 9. Second Timothy. Now, Paul's saying here to Timothy, he said, talking about, let me take it from verse 8. He said, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. The gospel is about what? What God has done for us in Christ Jesus. Right. And salvation, as the term salvation, is what is produced in our life as a result of believing the gospel. So when Paul said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God that brings salvation. So hearing the gospel, believing the gospel, is what opens the door for the power of God to walk in our lives unto salvation, to bring salvation into our lives. 
So therefore, uh, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. <clears throat> Excuse me. But share with me, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Who has saved us? Can you see the save there? Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling? That's one of the verses I was talking about earlier on, talking about our, our calling. Now, I repeat verse 9. Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling? So, in believing the gospel, in hearing about Jesus Christ, you are saved. So, friend, excuse me, regardless of how you're feeling on any particular day, whether you feel like a sinner or you don't feel like a sinner, or you feel God is happy with you, or God is not happy with you. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> as long as you have heard the gospel and you believe the gospel, you are saved. Your salvation or your state of salvation has nothing to do with your emotional status at any point in time. So, someone coming to a particular place and preaching an emotional message to make you feel like you are not saved should not make you go out to receive salvation again to be born again. So when you receive salvation, you are born again once and forever. You are born again. Right? So what you did, what you did not do, maybe you did not meet up to the standards of a particular denomination or according to the standard of a tele-evangelist, Whatever you did not meet up to, right, will never and can never discredit, disqualify, or annul the power of God at work in you or cannot take back your salvation. So if you have ever believed in the gospel, right, believe the gospel and you have received and you have invited Jesus, okay, I gotta be careful how I say that, and you have declared Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, you are. Are saved. Amen. So that's one thing. Thanks to we are being saved. What we are being saved. And what is being saved? So let me before I proceed on this, I think I should clarify something. What was saved when we believe the gospel is our spirit. Don't forget the man, human beings are, are triune. Um, I mean, we when I say we triune, we have three main components that make of the human being. You know, James chapter 2, I think verse 26 says that as the body without a spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. So if your spirit is not in your body, your body is lifeless. And as I've been speaking, I've been saying some things to some uh, single people. I've been trying to help single people understand that when you, when you want, when you're looking at a person to marry, you're not marrying a body, a physical body. You are marrying a spirit and a soul. A spirit, whether they are saved or they are unsaved. And whether they are a child of God or they are not a child of God. Whether they carry the identity of Christ or they, not, or they are not. And the soul, their mind, their will, their emotions, what they believe, their belief system, with their way of thinking, the, the way they like to feel. Right. So some people are saved, right? But they have chosen to embrace a way of thinking that is contrary to the will of God. So somebody might be saved, might be a born-again Christian, tongue-talking, 
But that doesn't mean that they are not the second cousin of the devil in the way they think. Right? So, if it surprises you that some Christian, tongue-talking, beat their wife black and blue, or abuse other Christians and do all kind, other kind of things, don't, don't allow it to really bother you. Don't. Because the person is truly saved, but they have given their soul to somebody else. Right? So, single ladies, single guys, listen to me. The fact that somebody is born again, talk, talk, talking, does not mean that you can marry them. And that's why when people think it's only in their particular church they can find a person to marry, they may be mistaken. Right? So let's get our thinking straight. And all of those manipulations going on in some Christian gatherings, Christian organization, as to how to match make people, we gotta be careful. Because the fact that somebody called themselves a Christian, or they are even a Christian, does not mean that, with all due respect, their head is correct. Like, because their soul may have been given to something that is anti-God, anti-Christ. Right? So, at new birth, at on hearing the gospel, what is saved? Our spirit is what was saved. Our soul, like I described, how we think, how we feel, what we want to do, the emotions we like to feel, like you know so many Christians like to feel like a crazy person. Amen. They like to feel like, you know, they like to, they like the feeling of marijuana because it makes them feel high. But that does not mean that they are not saved. So I'm kind of unpacking and exposing to you that in the church we have all manner of people there, right? Not to talk down at them, but to tell you that as many of us, you know, we're coming from the sinful world before we give our life to Christ, we are on a journey of transformation. Some people, will not even see anything wrong in what they are doing until after 20 years of becoming a Christian. And that's why I'm there as a pastor and many other pastors and the fivefold ministry to keep teaching you the word of God, to keep speaking to you that by one day, by maybe by chance, Holy Spirit, where are we going? This is so concerning single people. Maybe by chance or as, the, as you open up yourself to the word of God, you will be able to speak to you. You'll be able to receive the word of God. Right. Um, I was we're visiting a friend, my wife and I, and the lady said. So she, so the lady was sharing some experiences with us, and she, I didn't realize she was watching my countenance, and I wasn't moved. I wasn't bothered. And she laughed out loud. She said, "Sunday, now you're a pastor. Said, you are not even moved at all." <laughs> and I was like, "I can't be moved by those things anymore." You know why? Because I know that people are on their journey of transformation. So if I'm told that a member of the church did some, some, something silly, something antichrist, something ungodly, it ain't going to bother me. But it depends on the magnitude of what they do, right? Because there's some majors that I would jump on like a, I don't know how, I can't remember Andrew Mark puts it, like jump on it, something or like a jumbo or something like that. I can't remember now. But there's some institutions that I would jump on and I say, come, sit down with me, let us talk. What were you thinking? Or what were you smoking? Right? Yeah, I, I will have that conversation. So if you don't want me to have those conversations with you, asking what you were smoking uh, when you were doing some stuff, um, please, let's mind our conduct. Amen. Yeah, so what I'm trying to say is that, you know, people are not perfect. People are on their journey of transformation. And that is why it is not right. It is inappropriate for us to condemn people in the church. We can condemn an action, but don't condemn the people. Right? So the lady said, you know, what? Tony, this thing didn't even move you. Like, Man, you are really ministry. I said, no, 
it can move me because I know people are on a journey of transformation, right? Our spirit is saved, but our soul is not saved yet. That's where I'm going. So tense one, we are saved when we receive the gospel and believe the gospel and confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Tense two, being saved, our soul is not saved. And that's why Ephesians chapter four tells us that pastors, ministry, uh, ministry gift, we continue to walk in people, speak the word of God to people until we attain a maturity. You know, Paul was saying that he is walking so that he can present a particular church to Christ as mature people. We are all not mature yet. We may have matured in one area or the other better than other people, but we are all not mature. So we all are working on ourselves and should commit ourselves to this transformation journey discovering who God has called us to be and playing our part, listening to messages, practicing, doing the right things, right? Uh, and as we do those things, you know, changing the way we think, aligning our thinking, aligning, I repeat, aligning our thinking, making our thoughts and how we want to feel to line up with the word of God, not with the unsaved world. So our, our soul is not fully saved yet, it's being saved things too. Our soul is what is being saved. Uh, James 1.21, let's go there. James 1.21. Now, James says, I said, therefore lay aside all filthiness, this is New King James, and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. What did it say? It lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Lay aside. You know, let me read. Let me, let's find out how TPT says it. My wife is already smiling. So James 121. I can, I can see Sister Sally smiling there. Hallelujah. Right. Uh, 21. It says, so this is why we abandon everything morally impure. Do you see that the Bible puts the responsibility on us to abandon anything that is morally impure? Because when you see um, overflow of wickedness, uh, feudiness, you know, sometimes they sound like too big grammar. So I like how TPT put it so that we can look at it in context. Friend, the enemy wants to eliminate us. And this is not to scare you guys. When I say wants to eliminate us, it wants us to lose all every sense of identity that we have in Christian in, in, in our Christian life. It wants us to look like his children, and the world will not see any difference between light and darkness. And is in is 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 really really investing in this program that all on I mean all time program is working on, and is using people at every cost, even especially many believers who do not know their identity in Christ Jesus. So you'll be surprised that the people who will advise you to do things that will ruin your life are Christians. This is not to condemn them because they don't know better. Right? So many people who, who do not commit themselves to the journey of transformation that their soul may be saved. By doing what? By, put, by abandoning anything that is morally impure. Such people can be instruments of the devil against you. So am I, t am I trying to tell us to isolate ourselves from one another? No, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm telling you is this. You know the word of God properly. And when believers come around you, be quick. Learn to be sensitive to judge people 
by the consistency of their character with what they profess or how they look. Jesus never told us to know anybody by their looks. Say by their fruits, by their character, by the consistency of their integrity. Practice of integrity, consistency. He said you shall know them by their fruits. Right, so we should not go about witch hunting, but we should really know what it means to be a Christian and what to live out a Christian life. Paul said the calling that God has called us to is to it is a calling to holy living. So this is what now, now verse 21, reading from the TPT. So, so this is why we abandon everything morally impure and all forms of wicked conduct. Instead, with a sensitive spirit, we absorb God's word, which has been implanted within our nature, talking about your spirit, for the word of life has power to continue deliver us. To continually deliver us. There's so much in that verse of the scripture. But let me see if I can unpack a few things there. So the Bible says there that you and I, our soul has not been completely saved. Like when we read the New King James Version, it talks about the word of God. When implanted in your heart, in your soul, it is able to save your soul, transform it, renew it. And I was talking about the fact that our thinking should be aligned with the word of God. Right? So, and the Bible is saying to us that if we want to fulfill Romans chapter 12, verse 1 to, I think, 3, you know, the Bible says in Romans 12, 1, it said, uh, let's go there, Romans 12, 1. Romans, I got it. 12, 1. Now, reading the, the TPT, the Passion Translation, it reads, Beloved, uh, beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous messages? Mm, do you get that? What should be our response? Now that you are saved, you know God loves you, God cares about you. What should be your response? So, beloved friends, what should be our, resp- our proper response to God's marvelous messages? Question mark. Now, read the, read the response here. It says, To surrender yourselves to God, to be His sacred, living sacrifices, and live in holiness, experiencing all that delight is heart, for this becomes your genuine expression of worship. The Bible is putting the, the responsibility with us to kind of save our soul to change the way we think, to change the way we feel. So the responsibility lies with you and I. And this should be in response to the marvelous mercy of God, how God loved you and I, that Jesus died for you and I. I think the reason why we, when some of us give ourselves to ungodly living is because we do not really understand what that gospel entails, what the Christian life entails. We don't know what is really behind it, what what took place, what happened. I think many of us think it's a fancy religion. And that's why we go about conducting ourselves abnormally in a way that discredits the name of Christ. We don't know what it's about. I know there are all manner of fashions of Christianity out there which people think it's um, 
people think it's it's a way to, it's it's a kind of freedom for them to do whatever they want to do and so so some people say uh they would they would rather be a christian because they are free to do anything than being a muslim and this is not this is no offense to uh my muslim friends than being a muslim where people can be hard on you can be you know probably take you out or stone you to dinner all kind of things that people can do to you be a muslim uh, you know i'm from a muslim background and i you know it depend on the faction or the sect of islamic faith that you belong to it can be brutal it can be very very brutal i've seen all manner of stuff you know yeah some people say you know what you know you've not seen the root the good muslim the right muslim friends you know what you know what the truth <laughs> i've been i've been part of the islam islamic faith I was part of it for nearly 20 years of my life. So I know I know the ins and outs. I know what I see. I know some very nice modern Muslim and um, I know many of them that are brutal and can be deadly in as to how you go about relating with them. Right. So some people because they because it depends and also depends on the level of exposure and um, education of the Islamic sect or um, group or categories that you belong to. Right. So I'm speaking as a pastor in my right. Right. So I know people who would not want to, and this is real. I'm telling this true story. I know people who, because the, the Islamic faith where the path they come from is kind of hostile to freedom. Right to the freedom they are looking for, so they rather be a Christian so that they can do whatever they want to do. Friends, that's not what Christianity is about. Christianity is a calling to a holy living. Christianity is a call to be a child of God. Christianity is a call to to be to be used by God to demonstrate God's power to principalities and powers according to Ephesians, uh, Colossians chapter two. Right, as uh, efficient, efficient too. Sorry, right. So there's so much to Christianity uh, than there's so much to Christianity, and it's not about a religion, a fashion religion. Somewhere we go to church and just going to church to go and shout, small screen. No, no. I don't know where we got all of these things from, but it's not. But I've met a lot of Christians who think this way. And can I say to you that not many, not everyone who is in church today is saved. Even the ones who claim to be saved. And they'll be surprised that if they don't give their life to Christ, if they don't get to hear the gospel before Jesus returns, they will end up in hell. So this may sound harsh, but it's the truth. Not that God is sending people to hell, but when Jesus returns, the people who carry the seal of the Holy Ghost are the ones who's, who's going to cut up with Jesus. Are the ones who will rule and reign with Jesus. You see, it's not about a, a discrimination. It's not a discrimination thing or preferential treatment. No. When the Lord Jesus returns, we who have received the stamp of the Holy Ghost, we who believed in the gospel according to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13, we who believe the gospel will be caught up with him and will reign with him forever. So it's not about maybe Jesus will come and say, you know, this you because you were good, you will you know come with me. You because you were not good enough, you come with me. No, it's about the identification, the seal, the tag. Let's go there. Uh, we'll go to Ephesians 1 13 very shortly. I need to ensure I finish this. What I actually want to share today about is about the the gospel, the kingdom of God, but I'm not getting there yet. So um, be, be, come to church next week and um, I will <laughs> I, I'll unpack that. There's so much in that we get. So uh, I'll, I'll update some descriptions of um, the video and the podcast so that you guys don't uh, feel misled. 
Right. So we need, I need to finish what I was talking about last week. Uh, but I feel the Lord is getting me to unpack this much more. And I have just about nine minutes to go, but I still have quite a lot to cover on this. Right. So I hope I've clarified and um, you guys are forgiving me. Don't forgive me. Anyway. <laughs> now, so let's, let me finish this Romans 12 and we'll go to Ephesians 1.13. Now, so, uh, so how do, should we respond to God's marvelous mercies? The Bible says to surrender ourselves to God to be sacred, living sacrifices. Submit your body to the Father. Use your body for the things that pleases the Lord. The Bible says in the book of Ephesians chapter 5 that obscenity should not even be had among us, nor a hint of sexual immorality. But it seems like it's the order of the days, fashion is what everybody's doing. And uh, but the Bible is saying to us here that if we give ourselves to sexual immorality and all kind of dirty, fugy thing, it means that, okay, not exactly that way it says that, but I think in my own interpretation, I would say, you know, it's because we've not come to really understand God's marvelous mercies that Jesus came to die for you and I. If we know it, we don't need to preach to people to stop sinning. Regardless of their shortcomings, people will not boldly look at me or look at Jesus in the face and say, I want to go sleep with this person. I want to go do this. I want to go do that. People will not look at Jesus in the face and give their wife a slap because of whatever she did. Because that's not in the character of Jesus. The Bible tells in the book of Ephesians chapter 5 how we ought to, how husbands should love their wives. You know, love their wives such that in the manner which Christ loved the church, that he gave and lay down his life for her, live his sacrificial life, give up everything for her. Okay, I know there are twists to these stories and marriages which I will not be able to cover, right? So, no matter how you know, horrible you think your wife is, she does not deserve his love for any reason under heaven because it's not in the character of Jesus Christ. And Jesus did not teach husbands to love their wife, teach their wife a lesson by slapping them or inflicting harm on them. So I don't know where people got that from, but it's not of Christ. Amen. Regardless of how your hands may be twitching, you better punch the wall because it's better you punch the wall, you know, let those knuckles bleed by you punching the wall as opposed to beating up your wife. People should, people should get themselves together and um, start thinking right. Maybe some people have been hanging out with some children of darkness and who are inspiring them with all my now stuff. I know it's a demonic part of, there's, there's a demonic side to some husband beating their wives, uh, wives and I can't cover that in that's the service. There's some issues, some issues that are purely demonic and they have a lot to do with the problem with the man, not with the woman. I've dealt with situations where men are very abusive to their wives and stuff like that. Some of them are so demonic that the man wants to go to the extent of killing the woman. Man, okay, let me, let me let's carry on. Now, so how we respond? How we should respond to God's marvelous message to surrender ourselves to God to be His, sac his sacred, living sacrifices, uh, and live in holiness, experiencing all that delight is at. Experiencing all that delight is at. If we know how good God is to us, we will not give ourselves to immorality and sin. Giving ourselves to morality and sin and saying, go and understand is not understanding or not appreciating what God has done for us in Christ Jesus. And the Bible says that for this becomes your genuine expression of worship. 
people think worship is just the oath of the Holy Spirit. Are you want to say that? Okay. People, th- people think worship is just when they go to church on Sunday and they say they worship. That is if 20 minutes or 15 minutes worship, isn't it? Or when you wake up in the morning and you worship first before you pray. That's how many minutes? Maybe 10 minutes. But the true worship is worshiping God with your lifestyle, with your body, with your life. Is a 24-7 thing. And how we worship the Father is by giving ourselves to the things that delight the Father. So if we don't give our life to doing things that delight the Father and we come and worship on Sunday, our worship, worship is, is fake. Because it's sung, and, you know, and we have a lot of issues with, with um, in the church, we have a lot of issues with choirs, a lot of things going on in, in among the congregation and stuff like that. I just wonder how bold they have, how bold some people, guys have, with all the dirty and ungodly things they are doing behind the scene and come and stand in front of everyone and to sing and to, li- and to lay hands. Get your hands off me. Amen. Worship is not a song that you come to sing on Sunday. Worship is not. Worship is not the things that you profess is about your lifestyle. True worship is our lifestyle. How we choose to honor God with our bodies even when no one is watching. Because worship unto God is not a lip service, not an, uh, neither uh, an high service, is how they put it. Something you do because people are watching you. No, it is what you choose to do with God in secret and even in the open. So people should not say that they are worshiping God in the open, being nice, but behind the scenes, dark stuff are going on there. And I'm not trying to call out people who have some struggle in what we do. I'm not trying to condemn anyone this morning, but I'm talking about the, our intentionality, our our yeah, intentionality is a word I can use, our motive of worship, our reason for worship, right? Our reason and our motivation for the lifestyle we are, we choose to live. Because somebody having a weakness and due to many reasons, medical, exploitation, abuse, you know, it's different from people who choose, look at me in the face, look at Jesus in the face and say, this is the life that they want to live. And we have many of them in the Christian faith. Amen. So verse 2 says, this is um, Romans 12, 2 says, stop imitating the ideas and opinions of the culture around you, but, in, but be inwardly transformed now by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. Now, there's a recreation when we give our life to Christ. And the Bible is talking about a transformation here. Hence, the name of the church, Transformers Church. (laughs) There's more behind it. I'm just trying to put our thoughts together to put things together. We We are all on a journey of transformation, of what of becoming who God has called us to be. And it takes a lot of effort on our side, on our part. It's not something that will happen by happenstance. The world is against you and I. The world wants to take us out. The world wants us to look like him. The the world wants us to lose our sense of identity. And it will fill fill us with all manner of thoughts, imaginations, and all manner of things that belongs to, to it. It wants us to be like him so that we will not be light. The world does not want us to stand out. It's a brutal fight, guys, but it's, 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 a, it's actually a fierce fight. But we don't see it that way because many of us do not really understand what it means to be a believer, to be a Christian. The world is actively fighting against us. The devil is actively fighting against us. And I'm not talking about, about looking like a, uh, like a monster, like um, one spooky thing with pitchfork and all kind of stuff, red and black, you know, horn tail, sapping. No. 
the enemy is so subtle. If you will run from some things that looks very scary, so why would the enemy keep appearing to you that way? It's a very sly enemy and it's coming for your mind. It's coming for my heart. And when it corrodes and destroys our heart so, uh, so much, it, it, it does it and we give ourselves to it, put it that way. And it gets to a point whereby when, even when you see something that is going to take you or destroy you, you still be embracing it. So if anybody is struggling with doing something they know is wrong, they know it's wrong, and yet they, they, they feel pressured or compelled or pleasure to do it, something is not right with your soul. The enemy is going to take you out. Things have degenerated so badly and we need to start recalibrating. See, I've been in these instances a number of times and I told I'm, I'm not condemning anyone, but, but due to the experience I have had to, I'm able to call these things out. So if you know doing silly stuff and godly stuff, immoral stuff is what's becoming natural to you, you got to check yourself at this point in time because the end, it was your heading for destruction. It may seem pleasurable, it may seem like you're getting away with it or you, you know, but it's, head, it's, it's leading you to a place that will ruin you. So this time to pull up your Bible and go for the truth. Friends, can I say, when each time that we feel like we are being tempted or we feel like we are, we are, our heart is given to ungodly stuff is a time we should go after God, not run away from Him. Even when you mess up, even when you make mistakes, it's not a time to run away from Him, but time to run to Him. Whew, my time is up. Like I'll read Ephesians 1 13, like, and then we finish up here. So I'm just in tense 2. Tense 3 uh, says that we will be saved. I need to clarify that. I'll look at that next week. So we've looked at the fact that you are saved when you believe the gospel. Excuse me, you are being saved, which, is, which has to do with the transformation of our soul, you know, uh, becoming mature, looking and looking like Christ, you know, exhibiting the life of Christ. You know, the Bible says that we should, Philippians, but that we should work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We should give evidence to our salvation. We should, we should reflect the salvation that we have received. This, the salvation, the saved spirit that we have, we should reflect it. We should live it out with fear and trembling, giving us a responsibility. So the Bible is telling us that some part of you is not fully, is not fully saved, but some part is saved. And that part that is not fully saved is your soul. And there's a place of your body which is not even saved at all. We'll get into that next week. Ephesians 1.13. I was talking about people who will end up in hell even though they're in church. Right? Uh, even though that sounds mean. Right? But let me tell you what it is here. It's nobody's um, doing. It's not by Jesus' um, discrimination. But just by this. And uh, verse, Ephesians 1.13, this tip it says, And because of him, when you... And, and because of him, when you, when you who are not Jews have the revelation of truth, you believed in the wonderful news of salvation. Now we have been stamped with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. Now, in light of that, let's go to, let, I will just open up the New King James Version. It's very short. I like it for that. So, but take note of that word, stamped. Take note of the, also the word, revelation of the truth you know uh verse 13 sorry guys so it says in him talking about jesus you also trusted after you had the word of truth the gospel of your salvation 
in whom also, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The other version says you were stamped. So the Bible tells us in the book of um, the first, Corinthians, uh, first Corinthians 15, talking about we, we're going to have a resurrected body you know, when the Lord Jesus comes, returns. Now, when the Lord Jesus returns, the Bible says that we who are saved, we're caught up with him. And the Bible also talks about the fact that we look like him. See, to be caught, to be caught up with Jesus is not a function of your choice. It's a function of your identity. It's a function of the state of your spirit. Because it's a spiritual move. It's not a physical, it's not that you see Jesus and you say you want to, you want to go meet Jesus. No. It is a pool. It's a spiritual pool that's going to happen. And that's because you have been stamped, sealed with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, you know, gave us the Holy Spirit. Right. And um, when it comes with the Spirit of the Father, we who have been stamped with the Spirit, of, with the Holy Spirit of promise, will be caught up with him. And anyone who does not be the Spirit of Christ will be condemned. It's not an It's not... A, a biased decision. No, it's a function of who you are. So the question is, do you truly believe in the gospel and are you born again? Are you a child of God? Do you believe in who Jesus is and who, what he has done for you? Do you believe it? It's, it's, it's not about if somebody is watching you or not, but do you believe, do you know the gospel? If you don't, and you are relying on the fact that when you were born, you were born to the church. Or when you were born, there was a sprinkling of water on you. That never gets you saved. So we are not saved by association with Christians. We are not saved by sprinkling of water. Friends, Christianity does not save people. Believing in the gospel, believing the gospel, receiving the gospel, and confessing Jesus as your Lord is what saves people. Romans chapter 10, verse 10. Being a Christianity don't save people. So trying to invite people to church and they start coming to church will not save them. Trying to force your children to church will not save them. So the fact that they were born in church and they live in church will not save them. They got to come into a relationship with the Father. Thank you guys. So we talked about you're saved and being saved. Right. We'll take it off from there next week.